Good morning, Christ Hold Fast friends. Uh, this is Pastor Eric from uh, Epiphany Lutheran Church in New York City, My, uh, uh, the church that I pastor and that uh, we have planted here. Uh, good to be with you here on this Friday. Uh, we're continuing today our story, uh, our devotions, looking at the book of Ruth. Uh, last week we saw uh, Naomi understandably descend into uh, bitterness. She asks to be referred to by that title. Her husband and her two sons have died, and all she's left with are a couple of childless daughter-in-laws about the worst possible circumstance in the ancient world. And as a result, Naomi's desire is to be alone in her sadness. She does not want to deal with anyone else. She does not want to place any more burdens on her daughters-in-law than they already have. So she pleads with them to go back to their home country of Moab. She says in uh, verse 8 of chapter 1, Go return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. And then again, in verses 11 through 13, Turn back, my daughters. Why Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband, and so on. And so she basically is begging her daughter-in-laws to go back to their home country because maybe, maybe there they'll be able to find the kind of support that they could use and that they would definitely need. And eventually her one daughter-in-law, Orpah, uh, listens to the logic that Naomi presents and decides indeed for her it is wiser for her to go home. But Ruth, Ruth chooses a different path. And that's where we're going to camp today. Uh, Listen to our story as we pick it up in verses 15 through 18. Quote, And Naomi said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. End of reading. So instead of leaving for a possibly easier existence, Ruth, well, Ruth uh, clings to Naomi. She clings to her. She would not abandon Naomi in her darkest hour. And suddenly, Ruth, in this story, at this moment, becomes more than just uh, a daughter-in-law to Naomi. Uh, She literally becomes Naomi's closest companion on earth. She becomes... Her friend. Can you imagine how Naomi must have felt when she heard this response from Ruth? I mean, Ruth reaches out to Naomi with such a strong statement of solidarity and faithfulness that Naomi must have been, frankly, a little overwhelmed by it. It seems like she was. She just sort of goes like, okay, fine, you know, I, I give up. You can come. Um, you know, when, when going through the kind of suffering that they were going through, and they were genuinely going through real hardship, it really would have been very easy for them to part ways and never see each other again. 
After all, they, they probably reminded each other of the grief that they both shared whenever they were with each other. Uh, but Ruth says, no, I'm not leaving you. Now, Ruth has nothing to gain from this relationship, it would seem. At, at least uh, it appears this way at the time. I mean, she will leave her country and everything she has known and has been comfortable in to accompany her widowed mother-in-law back to Bethlehem where she knows no one, uh, knows none of the customs of the people, and ultimately is risking her life. This is friendship. This is, this is deeper than that. This is Christ-like. There's, uh, there's nothing better when going through a crisis or a hardship than knowing that you're not alone, is there? And yet the tendency when someone is going through something difficult, uh, especially if they're going through something that we can't really relate to, we don't know how to address it, is we feel uncomfortable, uh, we feel awkward, and because of our own discomfort and our own awkwardness, what we may tend to do is instead of, instead of drawing near to the person, we may actually back off a little bit because we don't, well, we don't want to say the wrong thing. Uh, we don't want them uh, to get offended by us if we do say the wrong thing. Uh, we're, just not, we're just really uncomfortable, um, and so we kind of back away. I remember when I was uh, in my first couple years out here in New York, I served part-time as a chaplain in a local uh, hospital, and they had me oftentimes go in to visit with, uh, with hospice patients, and some of these hospice patients couldn't even communicate anymore. I mean, they, they had no means of, of talking. Uh, they, were, they were still conscious, but they couldn't speak. And I remember the everything inside of me the first few times I had visited people in this condition was to want to walk away. Because what... What do I do? What can I say? And here's what I realized. The reason that I wanted to walk away was not because, not for their sake, it was for my own sake. It was because it made me feel uncomfortable. And what I learned through that time, um, not that it was something entirely new to me, but maybe it was just something reaffirmed for me, is what we need so often to be for people is just a person that reassures them, number one, that I'm here, and number two, that I'm going to be here. Never underestimate the power of just letting someone know you're present, that you're not going anywhere. That's what Ruth does here. She enters into her mother-in-law's condition and essentially says, you're never getting rid of me. That is friendship. That is friendship. According to the magazine Bits and Pieces, uh, a British publication once offered a prize for the best definition of a friend. And among the thousands of answers received, uh, there were a number of them. Here's a few, just a smattering of them. Uh, number one, one who multiplies joys, divides grief, and whose honesty is inviolable. That just sounds, uh, that might all be true, but it just sounds so, <laughs> so high-minded and nonsensical. Uh, one who understands our silence. That's better. A volume of sympathy bound in cloth. I like that. A watch that beats true for all time and never runs down. Meh. But the winning definition, I really like. 
And I think it's true. A friend is the one who comes in when the world has gone out. A friend is the one who comes in when the world has gone out. I don't know if you have a friend like that. I don't know if you have a person like that in your life. Uh, If you do, uh, thank God. We need those people. As a matter of fact, we, we all do. Anybody who has Christ as Lord does indeed have a friend like that. Uh, that's really what Ruth is to Naomi. Uh, Ruth has chosen to stick it out alongside her bitter mother-in-law because she cares for her mother-in-law. And here Ruth really becomes a picture of the true and better friend to all of us, Jesus Christ. She exhibits what he does for you and for me. He calls us to do for each other what he does for us. Just as Ruth left her home to serve Naomi, Christ leaves heaven to serve humanity. Just as Ruth clings to Naomi, Christ clings to us. Just as Ruth devotes herself to her loveless mother-in-law, so Christ devotes himself to us. Just as Ruth promises to be with Naomi always, so Christ promises to be with us always to the very end of the age. So whether you are feeling alone today or whether you're surrounded by people that really will dive in when everyone else has gone out, you need to know that your true and better and ultimate friend is always going to be with you and will never leave you nor forsake you. That will give you the strength to endure the hardships, the suffering, the difficulty that you come across in every part of our life. A quick story, and then we'll wrap it up and uh, wish you a good weekend. I have a friend whose uh, whose parents were missionaries in um, for well quite quite some years ago, Uh, and when he was a teenager or young young adult, I should say, I'm not quite sure what his age was. uh, Word came back to him that his parents had actually been murdered on the mission field. And so uh, this family was very well known, and there was a lot of condolences sent. There was a lot of people that visited this uh, young man to try and uh, comfort him. But he told me a story once about uh, the most comforting moment he had, the time where he felt most cared for. And I've never forgotten it because it's meant so much to me as a pastor and the way that I try and uh, comfort parishioners that are in going through real crisis he said there was a bunch of, you know, a bunch of religious workers and pastors and everything that would come and, and rightfully uh, brought comfort to him. But the guy that comforted him the most was this farmer that lived down the road from them who knew his parents. And this farmer came into his house where all this grief was happening. And he just sat on the couch next to my friend and didn't say a word. Not a word. And my friend kind of sat there feeling like, well, what? Am I, supposed to, am I supposed to say the word? And then this old farmer just scooted on over to my friend, put his hand on his shoulder, and just wept. He just put his hand on his shoulder and wept. And my friend said that was the most powerful moment for him to be able to process his own grief, just to know that in his incredible grief and mourning, to have somebody's hand there on his shoulder 
that would weep with him. That's what Christ does for us. That's what Ruth does in this passage for Naomi. That is what our Lord does for us. He is with us. He will never forsake us. And we have much to be thankful for because of it. So I hope that encourages you for your weekend. I hope you have a great weekend. We will look forward to seeing you next Friday. God bless.